you you have a thought about mm-hmm. something that thought makes you feel a thing and that thing will drive your behavior Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy our cup of coffee. And today, we've got a pretty exciting episode, but before we get into it, I need you to make a decision. I need you to make a decision to subscribe if you haven't already. You can do that on whatever platform you're listening to right now, or you can find out more by visiting lockdoc.net slash podcast. All of the information is there to subscribe. You can also see the video version of it on Facebook and YouTube, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel there as well. We've got a brand new episode that comes out every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And we've got other video content that comes out weekly that we're answering commonly asked questions from our customers and helping them solve their problems and good information that will help and impact you and your business as well. So please make sure you go there and check that out and hit the subscribe button. Today, we are going to be talking with Nicole Coustier. Yes, I think I got that name correct. She is from San Francisco and she helps coach on making decisions, kind of breaking through that decision paralysis and understanding a good framework of how to make decisions when you get stuck. I I really enjoyed this conversation. There is tons of information to take away here and I think it's going to help you, impact you, and it'll probably impact somebody that you know. So why not share this episode with them today and so they can get that impact as well. So let's jump into the conversation with Nicole. We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes and it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. Oh, yeah. All right, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Uh, excited to have you from San Francisco, which is very cool. Um, we had somebody on that we were uh, a podcast recently from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and San Francisco, two totally different places. I think San Francisco is <laughs> yeah. a better one, but I'm, I'm not trying to pick <laughs> favorites. I'm just saying. Uh, so welcome again. Uh, we're going to jump into rapid fire, five randomly selected questions just to get under your skin with unknown point values. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what is your greatest new discovery? Oh, that, um, that my daughter can actually go longer and do independent work without me hovering over her, which is an incredible blessing. There you go. How old is your daughter? She's eight years old and we homeschool. Ah. And uh, yeah, it's just great to see her just take up the the charge and run with her own schooling at times. It's beautiful. We uh, we homeschooled our daughter for the first uh, several years. And yeah. when she was about eight years old, we had a surprise of a of a newborn. And, uh-huh. um, and I I understand your sentiments because she was at the point where she was very independent. We could yeah. say, hey, we're going to go somewhere because she could get her own stuff together and be ready to go. And then we interjected an infant into the situation. So <laughs> <laughs> exciting stuff there. So cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, whose advice do you value the most? Uh, my mentors. I have three and I've cultivated those relationships over the years and I trust their guidance incredibly. And I don't make a major decision without checking with them and validating some of my assumptions. Very cool. All right. I like it. We're going to be talking about decisions. So that's very cool. Yeah. Nice, nice little, uh, little drop there. All right. <laughs> number question number three. So 
just pretend you're a con man or a con woman, and you can infiltrate any profession and be an expert at it. What job do you pretend to be uh, and 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 be perfect at? Uh, probably advertising, mm-hmm. advertising, marketing, that type of thing, because so much of it is psychology. Mm-hmm. And if I can master that and help people kind of unpack what's going on in their own heads um, to empower them, that's probably the the lever with the biggest torque, I think. All right. Next question, and this one should be fun. What is the wildest thing that you've ever seen or ever happened at a wedding that you've attended? Oh, uh, another proposal. So, yeah. So what ended up happening was the, uh, it it wasn't planned. So the bride and groom didn't know that that was going to happen. So that is not a nice thing to spring on the bride's day is, uh, yeah, getting down on one knee and, Mm -hmm. you know, proposing to one of the bridesmaids. So that's probably one of the wackiest things I've ever seen. I'm going to imagine that that's probably like the mother of the bride wearing white to the wedding as well, or maybe the mother of the groom. Oh, yeah. Same order of of error there. (laughs) Oh, that's wild. It surprised everybody. So we were at a wedding one time and um, they... It was, this was years ago, and they had this specific song that they wanted to play, and it was supposed to play the entire time. Apparently, the the guy, the, the preacher that was doing the, the ceremony did not understand the process that they just wanted the song to play, and so he talked over the song oh, no. the entire time. That was part of it. The second part was he read, he had his his whole uh, ceremony written out, and he read everything that was in parentheses that he was not oh, supposed no. to. <laughs> and uh, we laughed so hard. I was, I don't, I was probably in my early teens, and I remember this. We, I was doubled over in the floor, crying, laughing so hard because oh, it was, it was hilarious. It was very memorable, though. That's uh, something else. And these days it would be recorded. Exactly. Posted. Exactly. I don't, I don't know that there's any any footage of it, but it was like, uh, you know, it was reading as like step step towards the uh, towards the <laughs> unity candle or whatever. And I was, we were dying laughing. Oh, wow. All right. Well, congratulations. You made it through rapid fire. We'll give you a score of uh, 832. Oh, very good. I'm proud of that score. All right. Well, let's jump into uh, the conversation today about making decisions. I was sharing with you right before we started that uh, we we recently had a podcast with a, a high level executive that was talking about decisions and uh, and and the importance of making decisions. So I want to dive into that a little bit with you, and then also um, just kind of maybe a process of understanding how to make decisions because I. I would say that most anybody that's listening to this podcast, no matter what position that they're in, in any level of leadership or uh, as an employee or a team member, or whatever, there's a lot of decisions. And we've we've kind of unpacked that before where you make I, – I, and you may have the data on this. So I'm just going to toss out some stuff and you can correct me because I know I'm wrong. But as an individual, you make just hundreds and probably thousands of decisions a day. As you move up through a process and you become uh, at different levels of leadership, those number of decisions, I would imagine, probably don't decrease, but the brevity of those decisions changes quite a bit. And I remember reading an article um, about Jeff Bezos where he was talking about, uh, as, as an executive, you're 
compensated for the not the qual- quantity of decisions, but the quality and the impact of it. Right. Walk me through kind of that process, because that's kind of where my mind is right now when we're talking about decisions, because we can make decisions all day long, but how they impact and the level of impact is is pretty impa- is pretty big. Well, it turns out that decision making is a skill. And as with any skill, you get better at it the more you practice. So you're right in that you have lots of decisions to make every single day. But if you want to get better at high stakes decision making or decisions that have a high consequence and a lot of downstream impact, then you have to put yourself in a position to make those decisions more frequently. And So if you are finding that you're only making a high stakes decision once a year, twice a year, once a quarter, Mm -hmm. you are going to be paralyzed probably, right? You're going to feel the impact of that. And the way to get over that hump, there are a number of different techniques, but one way to think about it is the more you do that, the better at it you get. You become more practiced at processing information and understanding and appreciating how other stakeholders are impacted. You're just putting yourself into those shoes more often and you get better at it. That's interesting. So decision making is a skill. So it's it's like anything else that you practice and get better at uh, uh, typing or uh, public speaking or doing podcast, you know, whatever the case may be, is the more that you do it, the more uh, comfortable you become with it, right? So it's, right. It, I would imagine the first time that you you did a podcast, it was probably a bit unnerving because you didn't understand or you've, you'd never done it before. Well, after you get exercise with it, it's different. That's an interesting way to look. I've never, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that decision, especially high stakes decision making is a skill. And it is probably one that most people really put on a back burner because they only use it when it's necessary. That's absolutely right. So one thing that I walk some of my clients through is they say, Nicole, that's all great. And decision decision making can be a skill. But what if I'm not in the position to make those high stakes decisions Mm -hmm. so I don't have the opportunity to practice? And I say, well, it turns out (laughs) that practice can occur the same way, like you mentioned, public speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, you practice your public speaking before you're on the podium. Mm -hmm. So when you see other people, whether it's within your teams or organizations or even people in the headlines, Jeff Bezos, you know, what would I have done? Mm. Right. If I had those cards and if I had that information, where would I have gotten stuck? How do I feel the impact of that decision? Where am I experiencing some fear, some uncertainty, some ambiguity? What data would I chase after? You can put yourself in those situations. You can practice being on a podcast, record yourself, and you can't hit pause. (laughs) You can't hit stop. Yeah. You can't start over. You just hit record and you talk (laughs) until you get better at it. So that's one strategy for approaching that. 
That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm liking this. So, you know, you're, you're saying, Hey, I would like to get better at making decisions. So now you start to, uh, start to, to walk through what somebody else might walk through. Cause uh, you know, especially if you follow any, if it's especially in the business world, if you're following any type of business leaders, especially over the last, you know, 24 months, mm-hmm. people are making it, it one rapid decisions, but high stake decisions that you would maybe assume that they weren't necessarily prepared for. But in the in the in the case that you're talking about, a lot of people have been prepared for that for a long time because they'd been practicing at it. That's right. I I if I'm trying to think of I'm trying to put. Pu- process this through a different analogy because I, I love to watch football, especially right now. I have football season and I more so specifically like to watch the post-game press conferences yeah. where the coaches kind of, uh, coaches and the players kind of dissect what happened and you get a t- completely different perspective on the real game scenario because obviously they had done preparation, everything going up to the game and then Things either went according to plan or they didn't go to plan. And it and the thing that every almost every press conference has in common is no game goes exactly according to game plan. And so they're constantly kind of breaking that down because they had to make decisions in the moment, but they were prepared to make decisions in the moment because they had been practicing for those variations. I yeah. guess that's the same thing you're talking about. It is. So there's definitely the preparation in advance, but the the football analogy is a good one because the question becomes, what are you going to do differently next time? Mm. Right. So it has to be a before and after. You can practice all you want. And then I agree with you when it's game time, things are going to go sideways. Mm -hmm. Things you could not have possibly predicted are going to happen. And Maybe things turn out well, maybe it's mixed, maybe it's horrible, whatever it is. But coming out of that, mm-hmm. you're going to be in a position at some point to make another high stakes decision. Sure. So, you know, how will you prepare differently the next time? It's a, the public speaking one is a, is a great one, right? Because you can prepare, prepare, prepare. And then in the Q&A session, somebody you know, stumps you. (laughs) Okay. So, so the next time you have to incorporate that Mm -hmm. into your preparation. So this is, these are really great examples of tactically how decision-making is a skill set and how you can practice. Yeah. I, 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 I'm cautionary to share this because it probably will make me sound a little crazy, but I practice for podcast interviews and different conversations that I would have in these types of situations or uh, any type of a presentation, I practice those in my car while I'm driving a lot, um, out loud specifically, yep. because not just inside, in, internally in my head, but out loud. And I know that makes me sound crazy, but that's part of a preparation tactic. Yep. I want to get back to the decision because into the decision process, because um, I, you know, from a, from a practical standpoint, one of the things that I I don't know, and and I you know we, just mentioning this before the uh, before we got started here, is is really got me thinking about the emotional side of decisions and kind of the I don't know if you want if you would classify it as anxiety or just the the process of knowing that I've got these seven things that need to be decided on and you know each of those are going to have multiple levels of impact. 
And so I'm wrestling with those. And I'm going to just imagine that most of all of the people that are listening to this podcast, again, whoever they are, whatever role that they're in, is got it, at least a number of decisions that they're wrestling with right now. Yeah. And it drains on you emotionally. It drains on you physically because you're just constantly kind of mulling around. How much... How how does the emotions play into the decisions at whatever stake that they are? But I'm obviously the higher it goes, the, the more impact. But how is how does the emotional side of this play into kind of the decision making process? Yeah, well, I think there are two things. One is to recognize that the emotion is there. So many people uh, feel that they should not incorporate emotion Mm. into a decision. And whether or not you want to make an emotional decision or how much emotion you want to influence your decision making, I think it's first and foremost to admit that as human beings, emotion is involved. Sure. So I want people to notice that there's emotion. I want people to notice that they have fear or they have anxiety or they have excitement Mm. or any of the things. It's important to notice those things. It's a separate decision about how much you want to let that emotion drive the decision. And Mm. so much about, and so secondly, the, the other thing around emotion and decision-making is that, you know, People aren't particularly interested in talking about, you know, fun and excitement and, and, you know, all the positive emotions associated with decision making. We don't really question that stuff. Yeah, It's the, as you mentioned, the anxiety or the fear, right? And so a lot of that can be tackled by doing a fear setting exercise. And you might be aware of this. It's online TED Talks and all that kind of stuff. But What's happening in the brain is the the lizard brain that's responsible for managing cortisol levels and threat and all this kind of stuff. That 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 part of the brain is firing. Mm-hmm. Fear, fear, fear. Danger, danger, danger. Right. And that part of the brain, those fears will not be put to rest. You will lose sleep if you just keep clamping down on it and saying, ah, that's irrational. I shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I've done it a million times. I should, come on, I'm a professional. I shouldn't be feeling that thing. And instead you need to give voice to it, no matter how irrational it is. But if you want to get over that hump, you have to be able to say out loud, I am really fearful of falling on my face, looking like a fool Having everybody mm-hmm. say, uh, you know, what the heck is this person doing? Why are they even here? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, or whatever it might be, right? But that is the first step in allowing your brain to say, ah, okay, that's a fear. It's very real, despite it being irrational. And now we can start to tackle that fear. We understand the frustrations HOA board members and property managers face when deciding the best solution for their HOA and pool security. Should we use a keypad, hand out keys, or install a key card system? Do we even need cameras? These are some of the questions that are difficult to navigate and we're here to help. At LockDock Security, we've spent over 20 years working with homeowners associations and property managers to find a system that best fits the pool and HOA needs. 
camera systems for the front gate or front entrance, key card systems for the pool gates, or simply updating the gate so that it meets safety and code compliance. We like to take the guesswork out of the process to answer any questions and help find the right solution. Our mission is to help you protect your people and your property, and that includes pools. Contact our team today to schedule your free consultation for your community. Why is it that we want to disassociate the emotions from the decision? Like, from from a sense of we don't want emotion to get in the way, but it is a driving factor. Well, I, I, I'm trying to process why one would want to disassociate those or why that's a natural thing for us to try to do. Yeah, a lot of it is conditioning. You know, we are taught that good decision-making is rational, it's data-driven, it's all of these these hardcore facts-based mm-hmm. things. And, you know, compare that to 180 degrees in the other direction, highly emotionally charged decisions we have lots of examples of those not having good outcomes. Mm. And so we have these two extremes and we're just conditioned through reading and media and lots of other things that one side is good and the other side is bad. When really 90% of our decisions are in this gray area in the middle. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say, you know, you have to recognize that the emotion is there and then it's a separate point about yeah. what do you want to do with that emotion? Yeah. Why, why is it, why am I feeling this way about this decision and how do you, how do you attack that? That's right. Okay. So we, we identified some of the, um, the emotional side of decisions and we, so that's something that we can process. And and I don't know the, the fear. What did you say? Something about a lizard brain. What, what, <laughs> what, what was that, that process that you're talking about from a, a fear association? Yeah. So the lizard brain is colloquial, this this term that it's the amygdala in the brain that is responsible for telling us there's danger, there's threat, you need mm-hmm. to get out of here. It's the fight or flight mm-hmm. type of thing. And when we are feeling that kind of fear that may paralyze us, that's a lot of time just your amygdala firing. And what you can do is use other parts of the brain to kind of keep that in check. And you can say to yourself, oh, that's just my amygdala firing. I'm obviously experiencing a threat response. Mm -hmm. But, you know, am I really in danger of being mauled by a bear right now? No. Um, You know, I can take, you know, my prefrontal cortex, the part of my brain that is responsible for, you know, rational thought and apply that. So, and so much of this is just noticing that it happens. Once you notice what's happening, then you can be empowered to do something. But when you're having these knee-jerk reactions and you're not noticing what's happening in your body and in your brain, then you become subject to it. Yeah. Yeah. With the exception of those those people that don't have the prefrontal cortex, because that's that's a problem. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. Okay, so uh, you you identify the you did identify the emotion, and this is something that I 
man, I, it seems like it kind of circles back in a lot of situations, but it's the self-awareness thing, right? So being aware of these, these situations are, it just changes the game dramatically from, uh, somebody that's walking through making these decisions without regard for any type of self-awareness. But I'm imagining that those two things go hand in hand. So I don't want to go too far off on a tangent of that, but it just triggered something with me when you're talking about this is it's the same thing when you start to recognize your uh, your, your, your strengths in your personality and your weaknesses in your personality. Once you become armed with that, you can operate differently or recognize when behaviors start to become erratic. Same thing with the emotions. If you're recognizing it, become aware, then it starts to become more of something that you can, you can work with instead of it being something that you're working against all the time. No question. And in fact, there are, here are the things that you can ask yourself okay. in order to surface that. So you're going to have for any situation or circumstance you're going to be in, there are facts and those need to be cold, hard facts. <laughs> There's no adjectives and facts. There's no adverbs or no qualifying statements. They're just cold, hard facts. And then the first question that you can ask yourself is given those facts, what am I making that mean? Okay. Am I making it mean I'm in a in a tight spot? Am I making it mean that there's an opportunity? Am I making it mean that I'm being unfairly judged? Whatever it might be, you have to take a set of facts and recognize that you have a lens and you're interpreting those facts somehow. Mm -hmm. That's the first question. Then the second question is, well, given my interpretation of my my situation, those thoughts and beliefs, they're making me feel something. When I think those thoughts, when I have that interpretation, I feel afraid. I feel inadequate. I feel on top of the world, whatever it might be. And then lastly is when I'm feeling that emotion, when I'm in that emotional space, now what do I do? What's my behavior? Mm. What do I do or not do? What do I say or not say? That cascade is true a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> There's no exception to it. You, you have a thought about mm -hmm. something that thought makes you feel a thing and that thing will drive your behavior. That's that is very interesting because you okay so you just pulled out three you you have fear uh, you have uh, I can't remember the second one but then you said don't be feeling on top of the world right yeah so if if there's a situation where you 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 see facts you make it mean something and it relates to fear and that fear turns into the decision paralysis or yes. you know you then you just kind of freeze up. Or that you you have that fact and it makes you feel this certain way and feel on top of the world, you may make really stupid decisions because you think you can do nothing wrong, right? right? But once you harness why you have arrived at that point, now you can start to look at it from a totally different perspective and maybe more of a balanced perspective. You got it. The, the example that I always use is an example that I experienced many, many years ago. And there was a team meeting at this, you know, corporate environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the boss walks into the conference room and he says, guys, we didn't make our numbers last quarter. Mm -hmm. And there, there are three people in the room and they had completely different reactions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the situation is the same. The only facts are 
the boss walked into the room and said the words, mm-hmm. guys, we didn't make our numbers last quarter. One person was just devastated and worried, mm-hmm. really concerned because that person made it mean, oh, I didn't do my job, mm-hmm. right? I didn't do my job and now my job is at risk. That's what that person made it mean. Mm-hmm. The other person was completely confused. Okay. <laughs> you know, they made the situation mean, well, that doesn't make sense. We did all the things. Mm-hmm. It should have worked out. Now they're super curious mm-hmm. about the data and what happened. And then the third person was crazy excited, mm-hmm. super excited because their interpretation of those facts was there's an opportunity for me here. Mm-hmm. I can swoop in and be the hero next mm-hmm. quarter. And I just want to get out of this meeting and get back to my desk yep. so I can hustle, right? Same facts, different interpretations, different emotional response. And as a result of that emotional sp- response, all three of those individuals are going to behave completely differently. Mm. Now we could we could take a left hand turn on that situation right there because that's that is very impactful, especially from a leadership perspective when you're sharing that data, understanding that <laughs> because you know I, selfishly, right? I I can put myself in that same situation and understand the information that I'm sharing and understand the relevancy of it, yep. without consideration of the the way each person is going to receive it. And um, I, I've experienced that before where I've come in and said, you know, shared this type of news of, hey, this is this is something we're failing at. And certain people come at the end of it and are like, well, you just told us that we that we suck. You know, you just told us that we're <laughs> failures. And I'm like, right. well, that wasn't the message that I was intending to communicate. But I can see that is it's based off of that kind of triggered emotion that it's that it's bringing based off of that information and what they're going to do with it. That's right. That's a that's an interesting lesson for anybody in a, in a leadership position that is communicating that type of fact. Right. And the reality is that everybody in the room is responsible for their interpretations and their emotional response. Mm -hmm. You know, so the leader can come in there and be conscientious about how they're going to communicate something. Mm -hmm. But that person isn't responsible for the other person's interpretation. Mm -hmm. Right. So everybody needs accountability and you know everybody needs to decide how do i want to show up in this team how do i want to be a leader how am i going to take this information and do something with it it is not you know necessarily on a single individual yeah communication is yeah two way so two-way. nicole you bring up a very interesting point and and this may be where you're headed so i don't i'm not sure but it ju- i just kind of had just some things click with me. And yep. this is the way that these types of podcasts happen because I'm literally thinking and learning while we're sitting here. The I think I entered, I entered this conversation thinking about making decisions and that being solely at a leadership perspective, solely at that high stake perspective. But what you just opened up an interesting door that said information comes in, facts come in regardless. Yep. And the people that receive that information are going to receive it differently. And at that point, each of them have to make a decision as to what they're going to do with it at their, at their, in their role and their, at their 
specific department or whatever it is that they're doing. Yes. Am I, is that decision going to be based off of fear? Is it going to be based off of humiliation? Is it going to be based off of that excitement factor of, ooh, we've got an opportunity? Each person is now being forced at that point to make a decision on what they're going to do with that data in their particular role. Then they have to take that and then they have to apply that to their role in their department. And then they're going to share that information with other people. And then those people have to make decisions. Right. Right? So now we've got this just reciprocating uh, uh, decision making effect. So then the question that I kind of would go to next is, so how do I teach everybody in my organization how to make these types of decisions? Because it's not just based off of a select group of of a few. It's legitimately everybody every day, how they're making what they're doing with that information and how they're responding. Absolutely. So as a leader to know that this is what happens, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's going to walk away with their own interpretation. That is a way of empowering yourself and to to be more explicit Mm -hmm. in our communications, right? To, To walk into a room and say, guys, we didn't make our numbers last quarter. And to follow that up by saying, I think we are in a position to find new opportunities, mm-hmm. right? You can set the tone for that meeting, that conversation. You can do a lot to empower the people on the receiving end to influence their behavior and their interpretations and what they ought to do next. But again, it starts with awareness to be able to to go into a room and say, what to know whatever I say, people are going to interpret it. However, they're going to interpret it. I can't get into their minds. Mm. So I have to take the approach of doing everything that I can to be super explicit, Mm -hmm. not just so that they understand, but that they, to the degree possible, that they can't misunderstand. Mm -hmm what my 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 intentions are well because i'm i'm just thinking through this in in a sense that if if you if you're not aware of the way that you're presenting that and you're not aware of how somebody could receive that to make a decision so say for instance and that's and i'm i I don't want to harp on this particular path but i just i think it's i'm unpacking this live so (laughs) they receive information they receive it they're making it mean fear yeah and or failure right and so then the decision that they make is well i just give up i just i just quit cuz it's right. it didn't work right so at that point as a leader you've just influenced somebody to give up on whatever it is that they were working on because they because they didn't have the tools to make a decision that said hey this is i sh- i don't need to address this with fear i need to dr- address this with how do I fix it or how do we get better at it? Can you copy this key? That's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year. And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems, so you always know who has a copy of your key. To find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people and your property.
as a leader, and especially if you have the capacity to build your own team and mm-hmm. to make adjustments to your team, you if you can say, I've done everything that I can to communicate this well and to influence my team in the way that I want them to be influenced, mm-hmm. right? And I notice that there are certain members of my team who are not performing, they're not responding in the way that I need them to, Mm -hmm. well, you have decisions to make there. (laughs) Circles all all circles back around. So walk me through a process. So when you're coaching people, and I'm not asking you for a free session here, but Walk me through like kind of the the tips of, okay, how do do we make, how can I make better decisions? Because at that point, I can also coach my team on how to make better decisions. Yeah. So the first thing that I always ask people, and I'll tell you how much this question stumps people, Mm -hmm. is they are facing a decision. And a lot of times it's been lingering for a while. So Mm. they've had paralysis for a while. And the first question I I ask is, well, what do you want? Okay. And then there's silence (laughs) for a long time. because, And I find that fascinating that in approaching a decision, sometimes leaders don't think about what they actually want, Mm -hmm. what they want on the on the other side of the decision. Mm -hmm. And that has to be the first question is what outcome are you working toward? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, it can be really tough because people aren't used to thinking that way. Yeah. Honestly, they're not used to thinking about what I want. They're used to thinking about what other people want Mm -hmm. and how other people will view and judge this, this outcome. But from the standpoint of what the individual wants, I think that that's important to put on the table because on any given decision, you may have two or three options put on the table before you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the default is, well, which of these three options should I pick? Mm -hmm. When you start at what I want, what I want out of the whole process, what ends up happening a lot of times is there's another option that's not already on the table. Mm -hmm. And it's that option that could be the win-win, that could be a really positive experience. And and that is not, you know, tied to pros and cons and trade-offs and all this kind of stuff. What is that other option that could make everything fantastic? So that that's one thing. And then the other thing is, uh, again, this process that we just went through. So what are the facts? What are you making it mean? What emotion comes up for you? And then how do you behave as a result of that emotion? And once you are able to identify that cascade, you can disrupt the cascade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can say, oh, this thinking is what's driving my paralysis. So now I know I've got to maybe put a different lens of interpretation on things in order to get me to an emotion that really is going to serve serve me here and get the behavior that I want out of myself. I like it 
what am I what am I looking for? Basically, what do I want? What are the yep. facts associated with it? What am I making those facts mean? Yep. What emotion is a tied to the, is tied to that? And then how do I behave when that emotion comes to play? That's right. And then you at that point have the ability to be more in I guess control if, if that's the if that's the right word, but basically more in in tune with how that decision is is coming to fruition and actually allowing you to make the decision without the the delay, without the linger. That's exactly right. So much of the paralysis in decision making has to do with not knowing what those things are. Mm-hmm. So once you can answer those questions, now you have everything that you need to make some changes, make some adjustments, get mm-hmm. some help, whatever it might be, right? But without answering those questions, then you're it's just vague. Everything feels vague and ambiguous and uncertain. And then you feel the pressure and you can't sleep at night because your amygdala is firing and all the things, <laughs> right? It's it's a terrible place to, to be in. But if you can at least go through that cascade, answer those questions, that's the kind of data and awareness that you need in order to get yourself over the hump into a decision. I like it. It's very, very logical in the process. I'm trying to apply this to asking my wife what is for dinner tonight because <laughs> I'm following this process. What's for dinner? Well, I don't know. What do you want? Uh, well, what are the facts? Here, here's our options. Great. <laughs> How do these make me feel? <laughs> and, then, and then what emotion do I have associated with it? And then boom, we can make a decision on dinner. This, there you go. This, is, this has been very freeing today. I'm very, very, very excited <laughs> about this. <laughs> very cool. All right. So... A, a lot of decisions, so we can coach on it, we can practice on it. A, a couple of high takeaways for me has been that decision-making is a skill, and it's something that all of us need to practice regularly. We've got to get better at it because I I believe that, and even more so through this conversation, that a lot of people uh, – Push those push decisions or the concept that decisions are being made to a leader, and really it's happening at every level all day long. And so you've got to have some tools and resources to be able to make those decisions with more confidence and uh, be more aware through the process. Because if you do that, then you effectively have empowered your entire organization to move forward uh, in a in a positive way. You got it. You got it. And. You know, the more you can open up your own decision-making process mm-hmm. for your team, the more they feel safe, yeah. right? In being able to follow your footsteps and say, ah, that's how it works. Mm. I I can see how the leader is interpreting the situation and how they could be interpreting it differently, but they're interpreting it in a way that is empowering, in a way that is, you know, not wasting time and not being uncertain and all of those things. Now I know how to model that myself and see how it works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that concept of even though I'm not the boss, Mm -hmm. I can still take ownership of my experience and my lens and my emotional wellness on the job and my emotional management. Yeah, those two things coupled together, now you've got a powerhouse team. I like it. Nicole, 
tons of information. I really appreciate this. This has been a very, very, very impactful uh, last, I don't even know how long we've been going. So, uh, the, but the, <laughs> the last little bit of this podcast has been incredible. I appreciate it. For those that would want to get more information, you, you're, you, you coach on these types of things. What is, yeah. what is the, how, how does that process typically work for you? You, you come, you come here, you help with that. Is this a one-on-one coaching process virtual? What is the, What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anybody can go to AureliaNCoaching.com and the first step for individuals is to have just a one session mm-hmm. to surface what they want, what the decisions are that they need to grapple with and kind of surface the emotion around it. And then if they want to go beyond that, they we can sign up for an engagement where I actually coach them through all of those steps and there are more steps and tools and techniques and all that kind of stuff. And then if, um, if you want to have that integrated more in your teams Mm -hmm. to get into the practice of everybody in the team, knowing these skills and and learning that kind of decision-making then I have, team coaching as well. Very cool. That, that I can see that to be a major impact because one, even just having it as a resource as a, as a, as an individual coach to just say, Hey, Hey, I'm kind of stuck in this situation. Having somebody to bounce it off of and, and get that process going is, is uh, very impactful. Hey, again, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a blast. Lots of takeaways. I've got all my notes here. Um, we've got to practice making decisions because it is a skill that can be improved. And also one of the big things that I'm taking away from today's conversation is understanding the way that I share information with my team and my organization and how they are going to receive it and the decisions that they are going to make with the information that they've received. I think that's a really powerful takeaway for today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, always tuning in every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. for the latest episode. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single one. And we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Coffee Break Podcast. Coffee Break.